seated. We only have three weeks left of the Sermon of the Mount series, and uh, then we'll be starting a new series. We're in chapter 7 of Matthew together. And don't forget that all of the sessions of the Sermon on the Mount are on our internet, uh, so you can watch those for free. Um, What we will be doing after these three weeks is we'll be starting a new series. I don't have the title devised for it yet, but it's basically going to be on what happens after you die. It's going to be about heaven. It's going to be about hell. It's going to be about eternal things. There's some very concerning trends in evangelical charismatic Christianity today. Uh, More and more leaders are becoming what we call universalists. In other words, they believe that everybody, absolutely everybody, will end up in heaven. It's a doctrine from the pit of hell. And uh, we need to address that issue. We also need to address the issue of heaven. What is heaven going to be like? What are the rewards that come after uh, the time when we die? You know, we are pilgrims on the earth. Do you know that? We are to live in the light of what comes when we die, should Jesus not return before we die. We are to live in the light of eternal things. Paul says that all these things I've gone through, I don't count them for anything compared to the eternal weight of glory that's going to come. The problem is today's Western church is too earthly-minded. We live like the unbeliever, like all we have is what we can get out of this earth. But if we can get ourselves in a place where we understand the eternal things, things that will go on forever and ever, it will shape and shake our lives on earth. We will live totally different than we lived before. So these are going to be some strong things that we're going to be looking at and well-needed things um, when we come into October. But here we are. We're still in September, and we're in Chapter 7 now of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're going to look today at the subject of judging, judging one another. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, judge not that you be not judged. For with that judgment with which you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. I've said in most of these sessions that the Sermon on the Mount is an illustration and an outworking of the Beatitudes at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the mercy, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a summary of, of Jesus' description of a spirit-filled Christian and the major characteristics of a spirit-filled Christian. But the disciples would have said to him, well, how does somebody who is merciful be merciful in daily life? How do we take these characteristics, the Beatitudes that I've just read to you, in daily life, in our families, in our marriages, in our church life, in our work life, in our financial life, in our walk with the Father? What is somebody that has these attributes like? And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is just principles and illustrations of how somebody with the character of the Beatitudes would respond, react, and uh, act in different real situations. And we find ourselves now in chapter 7, and we are looking at the, a passage talking about how we judge other people. And it's extremely powerful. It says, judge not, lest you be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This takes us back to the particular beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That phrase seems to say that if you're not merciful to people, you yourself will not receive mercy. That God's mercy flows into our lives depending on how we are merciful to other people around us. And that seems to be illustrating this passage. The measure you judge others will be measured back to you. Now, when this is speaking about judging others, I want to uh, make a statement here about what judging is and what it isn't in this um, present context. Because there is a time when judgments need to be made. When you're in spiritual leadership, you have to make judgments about situations. You have to make judgments about individuals. Uh, there is a place for judgment. This isn't talking about that. I mean, I've had people say, oh, you know, that whenever you say anything, whenever you say anything or make a judgment about something, they think that you're being judgmental. I remember one of these universalists that we're going to deal with uh, in October who believes that everybody goes to heaven in the end, whether they're Christians or not, whether they love God or not. It doesn't matter. In the end, everybody goes to heaven. And I said to this person, I said, it's interesting, isn't it, how most, most of the teaching on hell comes from the mouth of Jesus himself. Yet most of the teaching of universalism comes from strange scriptures taken out of context in the epistles. But most of the teaching, it's almost like Jesus was saying, this is too awful and awesome for anybody else to be left with the major teaching on hell itself. I have to give it. And so there was this universal. And I just, and, and he was going on about how everybody's going to get to heaven and, 
and, and God's love is greater than God's justice, and you don't have to believe. God will, God will sort it all out in the end. Um, the gospel's great to preach, but you don't need it. To, everybody's going to get into heaven. And I just wrote to him one verse. I said, and where their worm will not die, and where their fire will never be quenched. I just sent that to him. Because that is one of the key scriptures that shows it never ends. The worm does not die. The fire is not quenched. And uh, I, I, got, I got a message back, and it was just, who do you think you are? This is the problem with Christians and ministers like you. You're so judgmental, judging everybody who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell. And I thought to myself, this isn't what Matthew is talking about here in chapter 7. Jesus did not come to save, he, uh, sorry, to condemn. He came to save. But he also made it clear that if you do not believe in the Son, you will not have the Father. And therefore, if you do not believe in Jesus, that he is who he is, you're not saved. Now, that's not my judgment. That's the judgment of the Word. But in saying that, I'm accused of being judgmental. And this type of attitude means that you can't make a judgment about anything. You're not even allowed to make Scripture because you're judgmental. Now, I say that because there is a place for judgment, and I'll come to that. But what this is talking about in chapter 7, it's talking about fault-finding, finger-pointing, and self-righteousness. It's not talking about spiritual judgment. It's not talking about true church discipline, which is always about restoration. This is talking about an attitude of judgmentalism, okay? That's what it's talking about. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 echoes what we've just read. Luke 6, verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Can you see how all these passages, well, these three passages, uh, blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. The measure you judge is the measure that you will be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Can you see that the measure of forgiveness that we receive is how forgiving we are? The mercy that will come into our life is dependent on our attitude of mercy to other people. The judgment that we give to other, or the judgmentalism, or the fault-finding, or the, or the uh, accusations that we give to others, will come back on us. This is not talking about proper spiritual judgment of a matter by elders in the right manner. This is talking about the abuse. Can we all hear that? And don't forget that this spirit and attitude that, Je that Jesus is pointing out comes from Satan himself. What does the word Satan mean? Can anybody tell me here today? It simply means accuser. Simply means accuser. It doesn't mean any other anything else. Satan simply means accuser. If we translated it into English properly, we would just call him the accuser. We use the word Satan and it becomes a personal name, doesn't it? But it literally just means accuser. And Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 says the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. So this is a spirit, accusation, 
judgmentalism, self-righteousness, finger-pointing, fault-finding. These things are not of the Spirit. It's not the Spirit-filled way of doing things. These things are of the devil. The great uh, divine William Perkins was quoted by R.T. Kendall in his book on the Sermon on the Mount, which is just an amazing book. And William Perkins, the great Puritan divine, said, don't believe the devil even if he tells the truth. I thought, that's worthy of thought, isn't it? Don't believe the devil even if he tells the truth. You know, this sort of judgmentalism that we're talking about, measuring out judgment, is not necessarily somebody uh, making up things about a person, but it's somebody who may be telling the truth, but in a totally harsh, hypocritical, self-righteous, nasty way, wanting to see the person punished, all right? So, judgmentalism isn't necessarily not seeing something in another person's lives. You might see it. It might be true. But it's what you do and your intentions about what happens to that person if there's something wrong in their lives. You want to get them. You want to see them dealt with. You want to see them judged. You want to see them punished. You don't want to see them get away with it. And, and you, want to, you want them to squirm right where they are and receive what you might call justice. That is the wrong spirit. I said that 1 Corinthians, well, I didn't, but I said that there is a right judgment, a spiritual judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 25, or was it, no, 15, I think my handwriting says. 1 Corinthians 2, 15, a spiritual man makes judgments about all things. But this is the point, isn't it? In order to make judgments, proper judgments, you do need to be spiritual. Remember Galatians chapter 6? It says, if anyone is caught in sin... Anybody can correct them. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Anybody can restore them. Anybody can confront them. No. In Galatians chapter 6, the first few verses, can't remember the exact verse, it says, if anybody is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them, deal with it, make judgment. Now, I tell you what, if I'm caught in a sin, I want to be dealt with by somebody who's spiritual. I don't want to be dealt with by a Pharisee. I don't want to be dealt with by somebody who wants, wants to teach me a lesson, and by goodness me, they're going to demonstrate that. I don't want to be judged or dealt with by somebody that wants to make an example out of me. I want someone who's spiritual. What do I mean by that? I want someone who's spiritual, somebody that's looking to do the Lord's will, somebody that's not there with their own agenda, Ah, uh, now's my chance to put this person in their place once for all. Now's my chance to punish. Now's my chance to... I want someone that, that isn't going to come with any agenda but that of the Holy Spirit, that of the gospel of peace and restoration, and that if they put their finger on some issues, their heart is there with, with one of love. Like Jesus, when he restored Peter three times. Peter had sinned terribly, denied him three times, even in his presence. But Jesus restored him spiritually. He didn't let him, he didn't, he didn't get away from the issues, did he? 
But at the same time, Jesus' heart was spiritual. It was the gospel. It was in the manner of the beatitude. It was merciful. It didn't pretend the issues weren't there. Now, that, that would not be right. But it came to address the issues for the person's good. So the spiritual man makes judgments about all things because they've got no agendas but the Holy Spirit's. This is not pointing the finger. And also, this judgmentalism that we're talking about actually often stems from bitterness. Ephesians chapter 4, four verse 30, talks about how bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit. When you're bitter about somebody, you're not in a position to judge them. Because your bitterness wants to harm them. Bitterness wants to harm people, wants them to be put in their place, wants them to be judged, found guilty, wants them to be taught a lesson. That's what bitterness is. So where you have bitterness in heart, you are not in a fit place to bring judgment on others. In order to be able to bring judgment, you must first deal with your judgmental bitterness. Judge not, lest you be judged. And look here, it says that um, in verse 2, for with the judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So this tells us, and we've seen the other scriptures that I've read, that literally how you judge others is how God is going to judge you. Isn't it funny? Often, even as Christians, often Christians want mercy from God, but want God to sort out the other people. So we want mercy from God, but we want God to, um, to, to sort out the other people. Do you, do you remember Jesus' parable of the man that was in debt? And he went to his debtor, and said, please, have mercy on me. Don't put me in prison, please. And the man said, okay, I will have mercy on you. I will give you time. I forgive you your debts. And then that same man went away, do you remember? And there were people that owed him a lot less than he owed the man. And he would not give them mercy. Do you remember that? And then what happened? The person that he owed debt to, what did he do? When he found out that the man that he'd forgiven his debt refused to forgive those that asked him to forgive them their debt, he suddenly hardened, he changed his judgment, and he put that man in prison to be judged. That's a picture of God. The measure that you judge is the measure that God will judge you. In other words, you set the standard by which God is going to judge you. You set the standard. You say, doesn't God judge people all the same? No. No, he doesn't. He judges people according to the way that they treat others, just like in that parable I gave you. Now, can I just say also something about judge? We're not talking about eternal judgment. We're not talking about eternal judgment. We're not talking about God saying, if you don't treat people right, you'll lose your salvation and I will judge you back into hell. This has got nothing to do with it. The person who Jesus is addressing is a spirit-filled believer. This is what this was ultimately intended for, this sermon. So when it says in Luke that we read, 
um, do, not, do not condemn and you will not be condemned. It's not talking about being condemned to hell. And when it says forgiven, you will be forgiven, it's not talking about that if you don't forgive, you will go to hell because you won't be forgiven. It's the same in the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And some people totally incorrectly think that that phrase, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. They teach falsely that if you don't forgive somebody else's sins, then God will not forgive you. You're going back to hell. That is not the case. I could go into this in depth, but just to say this, what is the first thing you say when you say the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. So even before you get to the issues of walking in forgiveness, even before you get there, He's your Father. It doesn't say, right, I'm now going to teach you the Lord's Prayer. Jesus, teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples. And Jesus says, well, first thing you need to do is make sure you're forgiven every time you pray this prayer. So first of all, say, Father, forgive us our No, first don't even say, Father. Say, forgive us our sins as we forgive others, then we may call you Father. doesn't say that, does it? And so this forgiveness that we're talking about, this is talking about what happens to you on earth. This is talking about your relationship with God on earth. Because you can have a father and be estranged to him, can't you? You, you can have a father and you're not, and you're not on speaking terms. Uh, you can have a son or a daughter and the relationship can have problems, can't it? Well, this is what God is talking about. If you want a good relationship with God, it's determined on your relationships with others. It's not primarily determined on your prayer life. It's not primarily... Uh, determined by your um, Bible reading life. It's not pr primarily attend, uh, by your attendance at church. God says this, don't, in, John's, in, the, in the epistle to John, it makes it clear, it says, don't tell me that you love God when you hate your brother. How do you know whether you love God? Because I read my Bible? Wrong. Because I pray for hours? Wrong. Because I work? Wrong. The first thing you look at to see if you're loving God is whether you love your brother or sister. That's the first thing that God looks at. Most Christians don't think that. They, they, they're so consumed by this, just me and the Lord, just me and Jesus, and I don't give a hoot about you, and you can get lost, and I'm leaving this church because I was offended, and left, right, and center, it's just me and the Lord. But you're part of a body. There's no such thing as just me and the Lord. You're part of a body, and the Lord says, you know what? My uh, commandment to you was love one another as I have loved you. Ah, but I thought your great commandment was love God. If you do love me, you will love others as I have loved you. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. Do you hear what I'm saying? So when we're talking about giving mercy and judgmentalism, we're talking about these issues of life. That the measure, and this is the crazy thing, let me, let me say this again. You determine the standard by which God is judging you in daily life. And I have seen this over the years. I have seen this. I have witnessed this again and again. That those that are merciful, 
do receive mercy. And those that do not give mercy, in the end, the very attitude and actions that they demonstrate in unmercifulness, if that's the right word, comes back and visits them. I've seen it all. Well, maybe not, but it feels like it. I've seen it. I've seen people. I've been seen situations of accusation and, and falling out of relationship in the body of Christ where one party, it's terrible when it's two parties, where one party refuses to budge an inch, refuses to deal with the situation spiritually, refuses input, but stand there, and even if they're right, they want the maximum punishment possible for that person. They want that person exposed. They want that person judged. They want that person punished. And, and, and that's bad enough uh, when, uh, when the person hasn't done what they've said. But when the person has done something that they have said, it's even worse. They don't want the situation just dealt with. There's a vindictiveness, a punishment, and an attitude that simply won't let go till they've had their pound of flesh. You know what I'm talking about? And at the time, when they're in that position where they seem so strong, so righteous in their eyes, and they start speaking about justice and holiness and, and, and righteousness and, and, and that there's no sense of mercy in their heart. No sense of mercy in their heart at all. And then they drive it through. Do you know at the time as they do that, sometimes nothing seems to happen. But give it a couple of months. Or I found give it a couple of years or so or even five or six or seven years, unless something drastically changes to that attitude, the way that they judged, it comes back upon them. It is, well, well let's not say amen, because that is contrary to the mercy that we're talking about, okay? I mean, it is funny. Amen, they got what they deserved, the unmerciful judgment. I love Katie. I know you didn't mean it like that. But I've seen it visit them. Sometimes it takes a while as they walk in that self-righteousness. You know, the Bible says, be careful when you stand lest you fall. And uh, if someone falls, be careful about your judgmentalism because it might be you next. Doesn't it say that? So it's talking about, I have, as I said, I'm not talking about dealing with the issue. You can deal with the same issue and still deal with it mercifully, righteously, and spiritually. Or you can deal with the issue judgmentally, vindictively, and, and self-righteous. And so, you know, there's many things that I need to learn in the faith and I'm by no means perfect in any shape, way, or form. But I'll tell you something, I've, I learned this lesson very early. I, I can say that I, I live this verse, and that this is one verse that has entered my heart 
And I might not do it perfectly. Okay, can we turn that phone off, please? I could give you mercy for five seconds. Four, three, two. You got away with it. Where was I? Yeah. I, you know, I, I know this scripture. I believe this scripture. And, and in my dealings, I can honestly say, I'm not perfect, but I tell you what, I'm, I know this scripture, and it's not, not a shame to say that I believe this. And I am very careful in the way that I judge situations. And there's often times before I have to exercise leadership judgment that I make sure I spend enough time in the prayer closet, not asking the Lord to deal with them, but the Lord would deal with me. That I could come into that situation and deal with the issue, yes. But spiritually, without bitterness, and to do the Lord's bidding. Because I know that I am going to be judged by the standard of judgment I give to others. You hear what I'm saying? And I can honestly say that I have tasted the mercy of the Lord... And God's grace is God's grace anyway. We don't get what we deserve anyway. But there's a principle here, and I can honestly say, thank God, that so far I've endeavored to keep my heart from judgmentalism as much as possible. And sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? And bitterness, as much as possible I have. And I've reaped what Jesus has promised. Okay? This isn't saying you let everybody get away with everything. Like, oh, I'm, I, and this is the false teaching in evangelicalism today, which leads to universalism, that nobody's going to be judged for anything. That whether you're saved or unsaved, whether you're nasty or kind, whether you're righteous or unrighteous, in the end, it doesn't matter, because you're all going to go to heaven. It doesn't matter. It does matter. How you treat somebody matters to God, and He will treat you in the same way. Look. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I want you to think about yourself and your attitudes to other people. Remember, this is not dealing with, if you don't deal with issues in leadership, then you are guilty before the Lord. You know that, you remember Eli, the high priest, and he just let his sons go crazy. Do you remember that? Right under his own nose, they were doing all manner of sin. And the sin of Eli was what? He refused to correct his sons. Listen. The spirit of the age, the spirit of the church today would say, amen, don't ever judge anything, don't deal with anything, just let everybody do what they want, and uh, like, like that's righteous. It's not righteous. But what this is saying is those of us that are in leadership have an extremely responsible position, especially with people that are under our care. God, help, help you. If you're a cell leader with a harsh attitude to your sheep that you're looking after for the senior leader of this church, God help you. Because if you're hard on them, 
God's going to be hard on you. And the interesting thing is I've found that harsh leaders expect great mercy from those that are, are, are above them. I found over the years that leaders that are hard on the people that they lead, and harsh even, that they expect you, if you're their leader, to be totally understanding, totally gracious, mercy, and tolerant of them. And that even if you righteously begin to put your finger on something, they react violently as if you were trying to abuse them. I have seen that again and again and again. Harsh, hard leaders expect those above them to treat them with kid gloves and cannot see, cannot see the hypocrisy of it. Now, this cannot see takes us to the next verse, doesn't it? Jesus is talking about judge not lest you be judged and the measure that you give mercy to someone is the measure that you will have in your flow and your circumstances and your situations. And when you have a problem in your life and you're crying out to God for mercy, what mercy did you give? Because that's the same mercy you can expect. This is a very sobering scripture, but it's a very encouraging scripture. Because if you make the adjustments then it means that God's mercy is going to flow into your life. And I think about some areas and things that have happened to me in my life, and I just say, thank you, Lord, for your mercy. I'm so glad that I had a heart of mercy for other people when I was in a position of dealing with them. So glad I did that. Not just for them. I'm glad for me because I can look back and I know that God's mercy was a response to my mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. With the measure you judge, judgment will be measured to you. Now, then it moves on. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? See, that was I talking. There's the illustration about a harsh leader who expects who is harsh with people under them, but expect leaders over them to be merciful and kind and react strongly if they put their finger on something. What's that? Well, that is they can't see it, can they? They can't see that the way that they're treating people under them is not the way that they want to be treated themselves. They can't see it. And when they speak to those that are in authority over them, they're, they're, they're like, you can't treat me this way. You can't speak to me this way. They can't see that that's the very thing that people under their care have been complaining about. This isn't a one-off, friends. I've seen it again and again and again. If there is a harsh leader, I can guarantee that they won't submit to spiritual authority over them. I guarantee it because they can see the specks in all the people that are under them eyes, they can see every problem. They can see every defect. They can even see defects that aren't there, but you can bet they can see the defects that are there. Now, love covers, but judgmentalism exposes, or they love to expose it. They love to challenge it in public. They love to bring it out in the open for everybody to see the judgmentalism. They can see the speck, but 
I can't see the huge plank in their own eye. And this plank distorts, this plank, I mean, not to be able to see a plank in your eye, what is that? that, that that's turned in to a phrase or, or that we use in common, a common language of, that's your blind spot. You ever heard that? You've got a blind spot about this area. In other words, we can all see it, but you can't. Sometimes when you're discipling people spiritually, with their growth in mind. Sometimes you see something in that person's life that they can't see. And you want to bring correction, not out of judgmentalism, but out of wanting them to grow in the Lord, to help them mature. Correction, do you know, biblical spiritual correction and discipline is a wonderful thing. It, it, you and I need that as much as we need love and acceptance. But in current church circles, I mean, not, I mean, in current, the current church generation hates correction, hates it. You try and correct your average Christian, and you get accused of all sorts of manipulations, all sorts of, well, well, you just got a problem with me. Well, you, who are you to tell me? I'm telling you, we have a generation of Christians, I'm speaking generally, but I'm generally, it's true. A generations of Christians that refuse spiritual correction. There's lots of people speaking about wanting spiritual fathers. And I'm using that for women as well. You know, it's, the, it's a spiritual father. There's lots of people, where are the spiritual fathers? I want a spiritual father. Where are the spiritual fathers? Where are the spiritual sons? What is the primary definition of a spiritual son Right, daughter as well, but I'm using the phrase son because it's a biblical thing, and you're a son of God too, ladies. What is the prime definition of a spiritual son? Obedience. Look at Jesus. Total obedience to the Father. Obedience to be corrected. But here, this person with, this, with, the, with the blind spot can't see it and doesn't want to be corrected. So Jesus is saying, look, before you begin, and he did say help people with the speck, didn't he? He didn't say you have no right anymore to take the speck out of people's eyes. You have no right to speak into people's lives in discipleship, to mature them, to grow them. You have no right. Just deal with the big plank. He didn't say that, did he? He said deal with the planks in your eye. And then, then after, he says hypocrite. Get rid of your hypocrisy. Help someone. Be in a position where someone can point out your plank. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eyes. We need more people with spiritual clarity in relationship and leadership. We need people that can see clearly. See with the eyes of the Lord the situation or the circumstance, and, and they're not motivated by revenge. They're not motivated by bitterness. They're not motivated by, I'm going to show you who's boss status. They're only motivated by helping the person faithful of the wounds of a brother. They're motivated 
spiritually and godly, and they can see clearly, and they're not coming with judgmentalism to condemn, but they're coming to help, restore, heal, correct, so that the person can walk fitter and stronger for Christ while they're on the earth. Get the plank out, and then you can deal with the specks in order to see the plank. And you see, your plank, people will see. Who can speak into your life? Who have you got that you would allow to speak in your life? Most Christians would not allow anybody to speak into their lives. Let me say that again. Most Christians would not allow anybody to speak into their lives unless what they said they already agreed with. I'm going to say that again into the spirit realm. Most Christians will not let anybody speak into their personal lives unless they agree with what's being said. It's the spirit of our age. Hallelujah. You look, don't, don't look too worried. I'm strong in the spirit today. I'm knocking some things down. I'm knocking some things down. I'm bringing restoration. I'm correcting things through this sermon in all, in, all of, in, all of, in all of our lives. I mean, look at David. There's your classic, isn't it? Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, David, I want to tell you a story. Oh, go ahead. There's a man, and he has loads and loads of sheep, more than he could ever possibly use. He's got a huge flock. And then there's another man, and all he has is this little lamb that he loves with all his heart. He just got one lamb. And he loves that lamb and cares for that lamb and watches over that lamb. And the rich man, with all the sheep, instead of taking one of his many, is jealous and takes the lamb of the man who has one lamb and slaughters it. What do you think, David? David was furious living. He said, by the God of heaven, that man deserves to die. And what did Nathan say? You are the man. Remember Bathsheba? You are the man. And David, to his credit, he didn't say, no, I'm not. He said, he went, oh my God. The sty, the plank has been removed. Now I see how I have been deceived. You see, so often we deal judgmentally even in our language. And this is why I really want to encourage you, if any of this is like making a big impact on your life, I want to encourage you to especially think about the forthcoming Wednesday evening training on compassionate communication that Colin has just written. Because it's all about how to communicate, well, not all about, but much of it is how not to communicate judgmentally, to deal with the issue without communicating uh, judgmentally. And one of the tragic things is people don't even know how to communicate compassionately. I mean, let, let, let me finish with this example. I mean, the language that we so often use in conversations and situations, is full of judgment. Full of judgment. I mean, you're meant to be expressing your emotions, 
But instead of expressing your emotions, you end up expressing judgments about other people. I remember, for, I'll give you an example. Somebody once came into the church and uh, they came to a couple of services and they didn't ever come to the front for the welcome team or anything like that. And after coming to a couple of services, they came up to me, this was many years ago, and they say, you know, I've been in this church a couple of services and nobody's talked to me, nobody's helped me. I feel so unloved. I feel so unloved. That's not a feeling, that's an accusation that we are an unloving church. Do you, know, you know what I'm saying? And think of how many times we, we use these phrases. Well, I just feel so hurt. Hurt is not an emotion. I feel pain is an emotion. I feel, I feel so hurt. What is that? It's a judgment. Someone's hurt you. I, feel, I just feel so let down. Someone's let you down. You see what I'm saying? I feel sad. Well, that's an emotion. I feel grumpy. Well, that's an emotion. Um... I feel wounded. Is that an emotion? It's a judgment, isn't it? I just feel so wounded. What, so somebody's wounded you? I mean, we could go through it. You try to express how you feel. You write this down. You try, next time you're feeling something, you try and express how you feel without judging someone else. I feel let down. I just feel condemned. I feel ignored. You hear what I'm saying? All of those statements are accusing others of being the problem. Whereas when you talk about your emotions, I feel sad, I feel glad, I feel happy, I feel depressed, um, I feel elated. Um, it's hard, isn't it? I'm struggling right now for emotional words. But you don't have to struggle for any judgment. I feel so abandoned. I feel so betrayed. Betrayal, abandonment is not a feeling. They can bring feelings. This is a judgment. And so if we're in meetings with people where we're using this talk of sort of feeling language, which isn't a language of feeling at all, it's a language of accusation and judgment, and we don't even know we're doing it. I feel let down. I feel betrayed. I feel isolated. Oh, someone's isolating you. You, you, you try and do it. You keep your ears open to your words this week. I promise you. If you keep your ears open to your words, you're going to say to yourself, well, I just said something that judged somebody else. And we don't even realize it. But while you're saying, I feel isolated, the other person is, is thinking, how dare you say that you're isolated? When, some, when you're saying, I just feel let down, someone's thinking, I didn't let you down. And now we've got this huge big thing where, where we're just judging one another by our words and not expressing what's really going on in our hearts. And this is one of the major failures of communication today, not just in the church, but outside the church. When we're expressing how we feel, it comes out as judging everybody else. We need to learn the language of emotion is different to the language of judgment. We need to learn what we are saying, how it's being heard as judging somebody else. And when you are judgmental, even if you don't mean to, even if you don't know the words, and you're saying stuff like, you know, I feel abandoned or things like that, the other person is just hearing accusation. Is that going to draw them to you or away from you? Amen. Well, if these things resonate with you in any way, 
then that Wednesday evening course is going to deal with, you're going to be amazed. When we first did this, when our senior minister, Colin, first brought some people to teach the staff many years ago about what was called compassionate communication, or the language that they used was non-violent communication. That was the language. And we, the, we brought these people in to speak about how we spoke and how we expressed ourselves. We were amazed at what was coming out of our mouths, and we didn't realize it. We were amazed that what we were saying to express what was going on in our heart was being heard like accusation, judgment, putting the fault and blame on other people. And we looked at each other and said, we can't believe the things that we're saying are so judgmental. We didn't even realize it. We didn't even know it. This is the language that we picked up. That's right. We picked up the language from the world. And we began to make adjustments. And there was, there was, and you have to keep this thing flowing, there was a tremendous change in some individuals and in some difficult circumstances, the language of love instead of the language of judgment brought reconciliation and future, where the language of judgment, along with the heart of judgment, but even just the language of judgment with a heart that doesn't mean to judge, the language of judgment shuts things down. Amen. So when we come back next week, we're going to move on to the next section. We've got three more. We've got uh, two or three more weeks uh, to finish Matthew seven. Remember, like I said, these Sermon on the Mount series are so important. This is the, if there was one sermon, one sermon to give us the principles of living our lives, it would be Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, because it is an illustration. It's not a new law. This is an illustration and principles of how to deal with everyday life in every circumstance. They're not laws. They're illustrations, examples, and principles. And today you've heard Jesus' principles about judgmentalism and mercy. Now, I don't know what situation you're in. I don't need to know. But you can take what you've heard today, the principles, examples, illustrations, you can take that, and whatever situation you're in, with the leading of the Holy Spirit, knowing this principle, you will be able to do exactly what God wants you to do in that situation. Amen? See you next week. Thank you, Bruce. Awesome.